and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome to Soberholic Podcast. My name's Roger. I'm in studio with Jason. Jason, how you doing? I'm good. This is the earliest podcast we've ever recorded. It's like look, 7 a.m. You look like it. Like you have no energy right now. Like you're you're out. <laughs> well, I usually run before uh, in the early in the mornings, but I didn't this morning because it's raining. So, so I, I don't want to spend a lot of time with um, our stuff. I want to talk to our listeners about um, interventions, and you know that's. I've seen a lot of different stuff on intervention. What is it? A and E where they do the, the intervention shows and they, yeah. they talk about how, Oh, if you just do this intervention, then everything's going to be better. And, and, and every time, I don't know if you watch this and I used to watch it. Honestly, it just turned into more of a trigger for me than it did anything else, but they would sit down, you know, it would show the using of whoever it was and, and the struggles they were having. And they would bring this trained counselor in who would, assist in the family with this intervention process and bring about um oh, how they how they're going to bring about this treatment program and sometimes the the person would take the treatment sometimes they wouldn't sometimes it would take a little longer for them to get back in whatever the case it it mostly painted a good picture as if you know it always works out well now i know at the end of the show like close to the credit sometimes it's like well you know mary was doing good and after release she ended up going back to drugs or yeah whatever you know so that that is true but you know the, the ones that i've seen and, and to be fair i didn't i didn't watch a whole lot of them because like i said that they were triggers for me but um it seemed to be like if you just do an intervention then your loved one will be fine what do you say about that well, I, that was a very popular show. I watched it a, a pretty good bit um, when it was at its height. I don't think it's still on anymore, but, um, you know, I know that there's probably no way to actually track accurately if inter, if having a formal intervention on somebody who's in active addiction um, is more successful than just not having one at all. I I don't think there's any way to really, you know, keep the statistics of that because I mean, how do you, how would you even do it? It's, it? it's similar to how do you, how do you rate the success of a particular recovery or rehab place? I mean, you just go down a rabbit hole with trying to track stuff like that because, you know, after somebody leaves a treatment facility or whatever, I mean, how do you, what do you call them every six months? And then are they going to be honest whether they've stayed sober or not? Um, so I, I think saying one way or the other that interventions, um, you know, have a higher success rate than not having an intervention, I don't think you can really say that. Um, but I do think there are some good things, you know, that can come out of an intervention. Um, you know, I think it can at least bring the attention of the addict or, or alcoholic. It can, and it can at least be an attention grabber. Like, Hey, everybody knows what's going on here. You know, even if you don't really know what's going on here, here's, here's what we see. And, and that could be, you know, the start of, of them 
realizing that and maybe it, hopefully admitting honestly that there is a problem. And so I, I think there there can be some benefits to it. But, you know, there there also can be a point where an intervention isn't going to do any good. Because, I mean, especially if you've already done one on the person, doing another one, I mean, is it going to really help? I know you can tell by my face I'm chomping at the bit to say something right now. So me and um, your old sponsor, we um, and actually me, your old sponsor, and a, a few other people decided to have an intervention from a guy that used to our to go to, that used to go to our groups, and you you know who this guy is, and, and I won't break his anonymity. I, don't, I know he wouldn't care, but anyway, um, he was a childhood friend. Uh, but I, I got back to know him again and he had done well and we could see him decline, uh, in his recovery. Obviously something was wrong, but like you were talking about, it was almost like he thought he had it all covered up and he had, and so mm-hmm. we chose to, um, I guess you would call it intervention. We didn't call it one, but we showed up at his house altogether to confront him and say, look, man, um, you know, this don't work, so, you know, and, and kind of go through the process of saying, you got to make a change or you're going to die. And, um, he was a heroin user. And so we, um, we walked in the door and his wife let us in. She knew we were coming and had not told him we were coming. And as soon as he saw us walk in the door, he took off running to the bathroom. <laughs> and, uh, so I just was like, you know, I, I'm kind of cautious still, you know, um, with people in addiction. I mean, there were some times I got into fist fights when, cause yeah. I did not want to quit. And so some of the guys, including your old sponsor took off running after him. And there was this fight trying to get into the bathroom door and like pushing and all that. And the, the other guy was inside the bathroom and your old sponsor was trying to kind of push his way into the bathroom <laughs> to drag this guy out. And this went on for a while. And finally, um, by looking through the cracks of the door and the reflection off the, the mirror above the sink, we could, we could see that he was actually in there trying to shoot up again. Yep. Cause we didn't want to take his last hit from him, you yeah. know? And so they, after they realized it, they bullied their way in him and another guy who's a much stronger guy, but bullied their way in and your sponsor grabbed the syringe out of his hand Good night. and then threw it <laughs> through this exposed needle syringe at me to keep. <laughs> so I'm dodging syringe darts and it was, it was craziness. But uh, in, what, in, what is the difference between an intervention and a 12-step call? Is there any? Well, I think for a 12-step call, they want help. They're reaching out for help. Intervention, right. and you're showing up on their doorstep on a map. Yeah, you're just ambushing them. Yeah, big difference. Um, yeah. There, there's, you know, a measure of preparation. Now, a 12-step call, they may call you wanting help, and by the time you get there, have done convinced themselves they don't want help. That happens a lot. But, um, you know, that guy, he, he wanted help, um, after we talked to him, uh, took him to rehab that next morning and believe it or not, found him a bed that same day, which mm. normally never happens. Oh yeah. He left that night, huh. you know, he, he didn't stay in no time at all, but you know, I, um, I am happy to say that he's sober today and he's got several years of sobriety, right. but, um, it, it took a relapse. It took some people loving on him. It took the craziness of all that. Uh, so does interventions work? I think that our conversation with him, um, it helped to help plant seeds, maybe to 
not let him hit the bottom he was going towards. Yeah. And I know for me, you know, I had several, I mean, they weren't formal interventions where I walked in the door and there's, you know, people lined up in chairs around the, you know, the living room or whatever. And they're like, have a seat and had letters or anything like that. But I mean, I definitely had interventions from family members that, you know, said, hey, you know, we we see all this and we don't see it going good. You need to get help. And here's why you need to get help. And here's what's going to happen if you don't need help or if you don't get help, you know. So they were they were and I didn't actually I never responded and went to treatment right when they did it. You know, it was always later, but it, it did, it did heighten, you know, my awareness of, you know, Hey, the jig is up, you know, that that's, that's probably what worked the most in my life. Um, what I got the most out of from the interventions that I had from family members and friends was the jig is up. I can't, I'm not getting away with this. I, I wasn't getting away with it and, um, you know, I need to get help. Well, let's talk about some ways that um, we could possibly make an intervention more effective. Uh, I know that we have listeners who listen to this and they don't even struggle with anything or, you know, I'm not saying they struggle with anything, but at least drug addiction is not, not one of the things that they struggle with, but they have a loved one who does. And so possibly this is one of the things or, or some tips that, that could help them uh, make their intervention or this conversation a little more effective. Now, I believe probably the very first one would be don't talk to this person, this loved one, while they're high. Uh, right. uh, we went to that guy that I was talking about why he was high, and it made it much more difficult because um, he, well, he's high. I mean, there's no other way to go around that. He just he wasn't in his right mind. And even when a, a drug addict is not high and have just been removed from being high for just a few you know, hours or days, they're still not in the right mind. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got to try to find a, a small window of them being lucid a little bit, somewhat sober. Um, but, you, but you're not always going to bat a thousand on this. There was one time where I went, um, a guy had reached out to me and his grandmother had reached out to me, guys living at his grandmother's house. And he was like, hey, I want to talk sometime. Well, I couldn't get over there that day, so I came the next day. And I couldn't get him on the phone, but I got his grandmother. And she said, yeah, come on over here and talk to him. And I said, is he is he sober? And she was like, yeah, I think so. And I was like, okay. So me and a friend went over there, and um, he the he was in the bathroom, and we were knocking on the door and everything. And then we we finally just opened the door. He's sitting there butt naked on the toilet. high, <laughs> And I was like, well, we'll have to come back another time because you just, I mean, how am I going to talk to the guy? He's right. naked on the toilet. Which is an important point. Even what you said without saying it is, it is important to have someone with you. I, I would never suggest someone to do an intervention by themselves because again, they just take a stance of defense. Like they're not going to receive what you're saying, or at least I don't believe they're going to, regularly you know i'm sure it happens at time from time but I, I would say even more so than to to find them when they're not high 
the prime time for me to have had an intervention done on me is when I was a little remorseful, like maybe after I just got out of jail or I had mm-hmm. just crashed another car or something to where I felt, you know, bad or guilty. Those were the times I was a little, I was a little bit more willing to receive what people were saying to me. Oh yeah. You're kind of, you're kind of striking when the iron's hot, you know, especially after some kind of, you know, pretty severe consequence like that is a good time to do it. Yeah. Right after uh, an argument with your spouse is probably not a good time to say, you need help. You need help. (laughs) That's not a good, and that's when we try to do it. I mean, I've done that even sobriety. I'll get angry with, with a sponsor or whatever and try to say, you know, just kind of blow my lid with them because I've been working with them forever. And it's honestly not that I'm even mad at them. I just, I'm sick of seeing them struggle and hurt like they are. And I know there's a better way. And you, you get emotionally attached to people because, mm-hmm. you know, you love them. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what about, um, would it be a good idea when you're talking to that person to make fun of them? Let's just, let's just say, you know, let, let's bring out all of their problems and point out all their flaws. Would, would that be a great idea? No, I mean, shaming somebody for their past acts and actions, more than likely, they feel terrible about what they've done on some level. Now, they it may be way pushed down, kind of like it was for me a, lo- a lot. I mean, I, I, I got to a point to where I just didn't care. But, you know, if, you know, but it was still there deep down, the remorse, the shame, the guilt. I mean, I don't, I don't ever remember a time where shame and guilt wasn't in there somewhere when I was in active, active addiction. And so, I mean, bringing up every point by point of where, you know, basically outline how they're a terrible person, that's not going to work, you know, because it, 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 when you, when you just heap more guilt and shame on the person, really, that's just going to do the opposite effect. It's going to make them want to just go use and drink more. Um, but, you know, kind of just taking a, a, a position of, Hey, let's, let's figure out where we can go from here, you know, um, and focusing on the present, trying to get them help and, and trying to paint them a picture of, Hey, there's hope in the future. People recover from this and you can too. So there's two different ways I want to look at this next thing. Um, now if we're doing an intervention, I think it's important that, um, before we go to that person that we already have something outlined, uh, you know, a plan devised of what we're going to do. So what I mean by that is if we're doing an intervention, it would be good to go ahead and talk to a rehab, find a place to at least get them into. And they can't, if you can't get into that rehab that day, which is often um, what you run into, at least know where you're wanting to go or some options to put that person in, to do an assessment, do those different things that are required to get someone in. But um, the other part of that, I said there was two things is, you know, you mentioned the difference between an intervention and like a 12 step call. I personally kind of look at this differently because if I'm doing an intervention, then I'm going with someone with a solution of here's, you know, three options you could use. If I'm doing a 12 step call, I will tell people about maybe those three options that I'm talking about, but I'll leave it into their hands of what they're going to do. You know, yeah. here, here it is. If you want to get sober, then this is what I would do. Yeah. Uh, whereas the intervention, since I'm, kind of beginning the process here, I'm a little bit more involved in that. Yeah. And most interventions are going to be, um, you know, from family, you know, 
I mean, that's that's who it's most of the time going to come from. You know, maybe a co coworker or, or a close friend. Um, so they're they're willing to to do all that. And um, yeah, I think that's a, a very good distinction. But what about this? Um, as you've been in recovery for a while, um, as you just had the grandmother of someone call you and say, "Yeah, I think he's fine." Have you ever went over and done not just a 12 step call, but Hey, could you come talk to him with us? Have you ever done one of those situations where you're called to come in and be that counselor interventionist that sits around at the round table to talk to everybody? Yeah. Um, I, I have, I always say, and I know, I think we've said this on the show before. I always say, Hey, I would like them to call me, you know? So it's not just. But I have maybe a couple times because I knew the family, like, you know, I did just come and talk to them. Um, but that's very rare. Um, but m- most of the time, whenever a, f- a family member reaches out and says, hey, can you can you come talk to the, you know, so-and-so, a little Johnny or whatever, and most of the time I say, well, he can call me and then I'll talk to him. Um, just because it, it just works better like that. And, um, you know, I have a, um, you know, I'll usually give them reasons why, Hey, here's why that doesn't work as well. Um, some strange man just calling, (laughs) calling him up and saying, Hey, your life's headed down the the drain and uh, you need to do something about it. And they'll be like, who are you? You know, that is a good point. I I know that I kind of, I don't know. Um, probably the best way I could say it is that I usually hold to your same kind of rules there, um, but those are rules that are meant to be broken. Those are yeah. not like, but there's times that like, if I'm going to go meet in with a family of someone who's struggling with addiction, I usually just meet with the family to let them see what the perspective from the addict looks like. Right. But as you mentioned about the, the, if you shame and guilt someone to try to get them into rehab, all they all the addicts going to do is go back out and use. Well, it's not that they're trying to be defiant. They're just going to go numb the pain. Right. And the family, the family members of this addict don't, don't understand that there's bigger issues that the drinking and the drugs aren't the problem. Those are just symptoms of the problem. Yeah. And so I try to explain maybe why some of the stuff happens that, that happens. Although, I mean, I'm not even sure why all that happens myself. I think it's different individually for different people, maybe of what they've experienced trauma they've been through in their lives. Um, the list could go on and on, but, um, I, I am with you. Um, I, I normally don't try to sit in a room with the family and the addict because w- what I feel like happens is that then I lose my opportunity to be there for that addict later on, because then I'm now a tool that the family uses against their addict. Well, they're both trying to use you against each other. That's what yeah. ends up happening. So a lot of times if I do talk to a family and they want me to talk to the the person who's in addiction, I'll tell the family, Hey, once I start talking to them, I'm not going to, I'm not really gonna, I'm not here to give you regular updates on what's going on. You know, I just think it's kind of a trust issue, but there are, you know, there are definitely circumstances where I would not get any permission to do an intervention on somebody. Like if you relapsed, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell your wife, Hey, he needs to call me first before I call him. Right. I'm going to show up at your house. You know, I mean, there's definitely plenty of people like that, that, you know, would, you know, would just call for call for that. So 
But to your point, you mentioned um, boundaries. Um, I think it's important to outline boundaries for the family, and, and also if they choose to reject the you know the solutions that you're offering to them. Yeah. And um, you know, if I'm talking with a family member or that addict, I'm going to tell that family that uh, I'm not here to report to you of what's going on with them. You know, you want to make sure that what you do between them and the addict is, or you and the addict is confidential. Um, if, if there's a conversation that happens outside of that intervention. And then also, um, I, I think it's great to be on the same page with everyone else in the room to say, okay, if, if little Johnny don't take, don't go to treatment or don't get help for himself, then we're not going to bail him out of jail no more. We're not going to pay his rent. We're not going to give him a gift card for food because he's going to sell that to the dope man at 50 cents on a dollar. Um, you know, we're not going to do any of those things. We're not going to go over there and put our, we're not going to buy him groceries and lay them on his front steps with a receipt in there because I could take those back to Publix too. You know, um, the list goes on and on. We, we got to know exactly what we're going to do and stick with it. And that's a whole lot harder uh, done than said, but oh, yeah. I've seen so many, and I hope and pray I've never had to experience this with my own children. Um, but, you know, I tell a lot of parents about tough love and you've got to be willing to draw boundaries and not let them continue to, to jump over those boundaries. And it may be that you not let them back in your house that evening. And I know the, the story I hear from every parent is what if they end up dead out there? It would be my fault. No, it wouldn't be your fault. It would be the decisions that they made. Right. And ultimately, you can't fix them. You can't save them. There's nothing you can do except help raise their bottom. And you do that by making them hard decisions and drawing those lines clearly in the sand. Because if you make a boundary and you continue to let your loved one cross that boundary, well, then they'll never respect that boundary because they know that it's, it's just make-believe. It's, it's not even real. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it. it having having that plan in place before you do the in, intervention is going to be key you know and having everybody on the same page about here here is what we're going to do and and i mean also back to the other point before that i mean you know having two or three different options for a, a treatment facility and having already talked to them you know and seeing what their availability is see what a timeline might be you know, where if the, if the person does say, I do want treatment, you know, knowing what you're going to do for three or four days until you can get them in, you know, you can, you can have all that stuff planned out and where, you know, the person who needs the treatment doesn't, can't come up with a whole list of excuses, you know, of why they can't go when you've already figured it out for them. It's like, all you got to do is just say yes and we'll take care of the rest. I, I love the excuses and I've used these same excuses. I can't go to treatment. What about my children? Man, you ain't been a father in six months. Yeah. You ain't even seen your kids in six months or paid child support or anything else. So you can't use that excuse. But but my job, I, I can't lose my job. Man, you ain't worked in six months. My family, I, I have a couple cousins that came through huge for me a couple of times. I went to treatment. Um, I was in an apartment one time and then another time I was living in a house and I was like, I can't go to treatment. I got to have to move all this stuff out or whatever. I had two cousins that moved all my stuff out. Like I just left, you know, went to treatment, had a whole house full of furniture, apartment full of furniture. 
And they come and moved it all for me. You know, they they eliminated all, any kind of excuse I could come up with of why I couldn't go. And, um, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. I, here's the best excuse of all. And I know, I know without a doubt you've heard this one. I can't go to treatment. Who would take care of mama? Because they're living in mama's house because they've lost everything they have. And they're taking care of their mama. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, if you're that guy listening to me right now, and you're a lie. Uh, I mean, I know you're lying right now. And you know that I know you're lying. You're not taking care of your mama. Um, your mama is taking care of you. And the best thing you could do is get the treatment because your mama needs you, not uh, not you just on, on the couch every night. Right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> ran over. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so does it make sense um, to get someone who – I mean, there, there are professionals that can come in and do that. Like I made fun of the intervention at, at the very beginning of this that comes in, who's a trained counselor. I've, I've seen there's actually different programs around the country that will train you to be an, an interventionist so that they can come in and, and, and know what questions to ask, how to lead and guide that conversation to possibly come with the best outcome. Would you recommend those type people um, or even a treatment center itself uh, to our listeners? I mean, I, I think it all depends on the, the specific situation. Um, in, in my particular case, I mean, there just wasn't money to do something like that, you know, to get a, a certified interventionist. I mean, you know, if you have the resources to do that, I can't see it being a bad thing. You know, I think it, I think it, it sounds like a good idea. I don't have any personal experience with any any professional services like that, but it seems like a good idea to me if you have the resources to do it because that's what they do. So they I think I think like you said they would know the right questions to ask. They would know how to prep the family for either outcome um that is possible. And you know, I I think also Here's here's the part of having a professional come in that I I think is probably the most beneficial is that they're impartial. You know, they you know the the problem with a family doing an intervention just all in-house is you've got a lot of emotions running high um and there's nobody there that's going to be impartial that the addict can look to and you know the the attic is going to think there's an angle because I know when I was in active addiction, I thought everybody was just out to get me. And so when you have somebody who's not a part of the family in there, you know, it's it's harder for the addict to think that, Hey, this person is just out to get me because they're, they're not a part of the family. They're, they're disconnected from that. And so they can come across as a little more impartial in my opinion. Yeah. But I mean, someone in addiction could serve that same role without charging you, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. in recovery, not in addiction, but they yeah. have through that process. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, if, if a family wanted me to, you know, to do that, like, you know, like we talked about before, if it was the right circumstances, I mean, I, I would do that, you know, and I would obviously definitely not charge anything um, because I'm not a professional and I would tell them I'm not a professional at this, but um, you know, I, I do think that, there is a a place to you know and and a set of circumstances that you know would justify bringing somebody in what do you think well I, yes i i do i do believe that but I, more importantly that what i took away from your comment just then is what i wanted to share with our listeners is that 
um, you mentioned that, yeah, it's a great possibility um, if you have the money for that. Right. Uh, but I, I want our listeners to hear this. And I think that some people may be, may misunderstand the, the process here. Um, that if you're trying to, to develop your plan of what you're going to give to that loved one, that person who's struggling, or if you're trying to figure out, you know, if you're going to bring in this interventionist in or not, um, and where you're going to put them, the, the, the cost of the rehab does not equate to the quality of the rehab. Totally agree. Um, so I think that's really important to say this because oftentimes we think that we need the big glamorous, you know, California or Miami, uh, type rehab on the beach front with catered meals and all of those things. I've heard horror stories of those type facilities that cost upwards of a hundred thousand dollars to get into. And that does not get covered by, um, insurance. Now there are benefits to some of the more expensive places. There's one large one here in our state that, um, I went to that was more expensive than any of the smaller ones, but they offered, um, what am I trying to say? The, the, to help you get off to doctors would come in and give you prescribed medicines to help you come off. Right. Much of your, your cheaper places won't have that. You have to come in um, or or just kind of do it the hard way. So there's some benefits to some of those, but just because one has, you know, a higher price tag to it does not make it better by no means. Yeah. I mean, just in general, in my opinion, if you're a family member of, of somebody who's addicted, throwing more money at, at the situation, I mean, from what I've seen, doesn't doesn't affect the outcome hardly at all i mean just because you can afford high priced even you know addiction coaches recovery coaches professional interventionists you know um you know the 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 nicest rehabs and treatment facilities does not give that addict a better chance and this is just my opinion of recovery it just doesn't from what i've seen it, it it just it's just up to the individual if if they're ready um, to, you know, to make a change in their life. And I know, I know for me, I mean, I, I, it just didn't matter. I, I, the last place I went to, it was free, you know, cause there was no resources available, uh, from my family or from me to, to do anything else. And, and I got sober there. I don't, I don't think where you, where the treatment facility you go really matters as much as your willingness to change. And I always tell people you can get you can get sober in a shoebox. If you if you want to get sober, you'll get sober anywhere, whether it's faith based, whether it's not. It, it doesn't matter where you go. Um, and you know if they have food there, then that's that's you know whatever place that you can get in the fastest, that's probably the best place for you to go. Yeah, and that plan it may not even be a um, a treatment facility. I mean, we're yeah. both twelve steppers and. You know, I know many people who's never, who's got sober without ever going to a treatment facility, but you know, that's a case by case deal. You know, um, I think you really need to weigh the options and see what it looks like. Um, one, one, I guess, final closing thought before we wrap this up is that in your plan, this is probably a common occurrence and you can agree or disagree, but is when, if your loved one decides to go to an inpatient facility, you should already have in your plan whether or not you will make them see it through to the end of the program 
Or will you let them call you a week, two weeks into it and say, hey, I think I'm good now. Will you let me come get me and let me go? They call that going AMA, against medical advice. Right. Uh, will you listen to the doctors, the professionals, and, and listen to their suggestions? Or will you break and go get your loved one? You need to, you need to know that from the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, there's so many um, a lot better um, – resources available i mean a lot of states nowadays have these peer support specialists which i i'm pretty sure in alabama um you can get a hold of one of those and that and it's a free service provided by the alabama department of mental health um i mean there's just a lot of resources out there uh, nowadays that are that don't cost anything and that you can you can you know do a quick google search and um you know and be off um to to finding some some great resources well i think that we've talked um about ways that people can do an intervention um if they work and how they can be more effective um i, I think we've cleared up that there's not a 100% success rate with any of them um we're really really unclear if they work or if they don't um, we've seen success. We've seen some fa failures with it. So, you know, I don't know if it'll work for your loved one or not. Uh, I do believe that uh, you can't really go wrong with doing one um, unless you attack that person with guilt and shame and go in and provide no boundaries. That could possibly injure them and you. But if you kind of followed some of these tips, uh, I think that it could be beneficial. And if you you know, approach it at the right time. So, um, with all of that said, um, we appreciate you listening to us. We appreciate you following us on our Instagram and Facebook accounts. Um, also we're new well, semi new to Twitter. You can also find us there. Also be sure to continue to rate and review all the shows, share it with anyone that you feel like it would be beneficial. We try to add value to each and every of our conversations that come out every Monday, and we try to keep them to 30 minutes or less so that we um, don't take away from your day. We just try to provide uh, good content and a quick uh, shot so that you can use it um, throughout the day. So with all that said, Jason, I guess this comes to a close to another one. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.